no, no, hang on. This is not a good All right, cool. yes, fine. Ready? Welcome to the bite-sized edition of the Editor Roundtable podcast. Here on the Roundtable, we're dedicated to helping you become a better writer, following the StoryGrid method developed by Sean Coyne. In these episodes, we bring you some shorter solo articles and interviews on topics that interest us as writers. Hi, this is Kim Kessler, and today I'm bringing you a deep dive into conventions and obligatory scenes with a talk that I gave at StoryGrid Live in Nashville in September of 2019. So join me for a quick bite of writing insight starting right now. When people first hear about conventions and obligatory scenes, they often react in one of two ways. There's the skeptic who says, nah, that's bullshit. There's no such thing as a magic list of ingredients to making a story work. And then there's the starry-eyed believer who says, yes, absolutely. Now just give me the list. But neither of these statements are accurate. There are certainly observable patterns and principles for making a story work, just as there are in music and science and human behavior, which is what our work here at StoryGrid is all about. But it's never a paint-by-numbers, plug-and-play list. It's about form, not formula. And that's something that we'll never stop saying. This is really important to understand, specifically when we're talking about conventions and obligatory scenes, because while Sean has given us the answers with the genre cheat sheets, conventions and obligatory scenes are not a checklist that you can mark off so long as the items exist in your story, nor can you simply insert them if they're missing in order to fix it. Existing is not the same as working. While studying stories on the roundtable and editing for clients, I've seen plenty of stories that can quote-unquote tick the boxes of conventions and obligatory scenes, and yet they still aren't satisfying. And think about yourself. There are numerous places on the StoryGrid website that you can find the list of conventions and obligatory scenes for any one of the content genres. But having the list isn't the same as understanding it. How many people have the list but still don't know what to do with it? That was me for a really long time. When I first heard Sean talking about the conventions and obligatory scenes, I believed him, but I still didn't really get it. Even when we did our editor certification training and we were given the cheat sheets, the conventions and obligatory scenes still weren't fully meaningful to me because I couldn't see what they were doing. I didn't understand why the elements needed to be in the story. They were just a list to be included, not anything meaningful that I understood how to use. And if you don't understand how something works, then you can't expect to innovate on it and create something fresh. The best you can do is reproduce. In other words, the best you can do is write cliches. The truth is that conventions and obligatory scenes are not a list. They are an explicit tool that serves a specific function. And that function is to communicate the life values to your reader. They do this in two ways. Conventions establish life values, and obligatory scenes turn the life values. But what does that even mean, and how do we use them? In order to understand how to use conventions and obligatory scenes, you need more than the list. You need to understand them in context to see how they function. There are three pillars you need to fully understand how conventions and obligatory scenes work, and any other story principle for that matter. One, the list. This is a list of the known elements to include. Two, story theory. This is what a story is and what a story really does for us as humanity. Three, a masterwork. 
of the genre that you're working in. This is a badass example of the elements in action. Now, my working hypothesis is that if you have two of these things, you can figure out the third. Where do you think the list came from? Sean figured it out from his many years as an editor in publishing. He used his knowledge of story theory and he read a lot of books. I mean, a lot of books. And after 25 years, he knows the list because he observed it in action within the masterworks. So story theory plus masterworks equals the list. Now on the round table, we have the list because Sean gave it to us and we look at masterworks and therefore we're able to dig deeper into story theory. And as a writer, I have story theory and I have the list and I'm hoping I'll be able to write my very own masterwork. So let's take a look at some story theory to understand what conventions and obligatory scenes are actually doing for your reader. What do we know about stories? Well, one thing we know, stories are about change. Now this change is represented by life values. And these life values are actually representing a universal human need. For example, action stories are about life and death, which represent our universal physiological need for life-sustaining food, water, shelter, and procreation. The life values exist on a spectrum from most positive to most negative. The most positive in action being life, and the most negative being a fate worse than death or damnation. Now, the positive life value means that our need is met. We're alive, thriving, yay. The negative life value means the need is unmet. And in the negation of the negation, while we might be alive, we wish we were dead. Now, there are two types of stories, a prescriptive tale that ends positively and shows us how to get our needs met, and then a cautionary tale that ends negatively, which acts as a warning, meaning if you do this, this will leave your needs unmet. Okay, so we know that stories are about change. We also know that the fact that stories are about change indicates that there is a before and an after. That's what change is, before and after. In other words, we know that a story must have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Also, this change is not merely one moment. Because let's face it, humans are not often eager to change. We avoid it for as long as possible. Instead, it happens over time, bit by bit. Stories, like music, occur in time, as opposed to a photograph or a painting that can be experienced all at once. Stories and music must be doled out a note at a time. It is this timeline experience that we are seeking to craft when we write a story. Okay, so the next big question, how do you show a change over time? Well, we know that you're going to need to begin with an opening life value, the way things are at the opening of the story. And we know that you're going to end with a closing life value, the way things are at the end of the story. And between, you'll have what I'm calling the path of most resistance. Because while we are certainly not eager to change, the conflict we face will require it. Now, this path of most resistance isn't random. It's relatable. It's what we as humans do, or at least what we perceive we do. It's an observable pattern. Interestingly, archetypes aren't just for characters. They are also the structure and the journey of change. We have some well-known archetypes of change journeys, and they include the hero's journey, the heroine's journey, the virgin's promise, the Kubler-Ross change curve. All of these are examples of archetypes of change. So to tell a story that works, that is one that's satisfying to your audience, 
you must create a recognizable pattern of changing life values. Now, this is where conventions and obligatory scenes come in. Conventions establish life values. They show us the way things are. They include things like characters, the setting, and a means of turning the plot. Now, Leslie and I are on the lookout for a better way to say this, but what it means is these are the elements and situations that allow for conflict to take place. You can think of it like the perfect storm. What is the situation that needs to occur in order for the change to take place? Introducing these items into a story points to the life values at stake. This, in turn, sets up the expectations of the reader. Our spidey senses are triggered and we are anticipating certain things to happen. This is mostly subconscious, but it's definitely happening. Because whether you know it or not, pattern recognition is a superpower that the human race has. Okay, so conventions establish life values. Next, obligatory scenes come in and turn the life values. They create a change. Obligatory scenes include things like events, revelations, and decisions. I think the word scene, though, might be a bit misleading. Perhaps obligatory moments would be more accurate because these are specific moments of change. Whatever you call them, they are the changes that pay off those audience expectations that were set up by the conventions. Now, this payoff may or may not be exactly what the audience expected, but it still meets their expectations because it's surprising yet inevitable. It fits the pattern, and so it's still satisfying. So, conventions establish life values, and obligatory scenes turn the life values. Conventions are like setups, and obligatory scenes are like payoffs. Another way that's been helpful for me to think of this, conventions are like nouns, and obligatory scenes are like verbs. But together, conventions and obligatory scenes demonstrate the change over time. To recap, stories are about how to get our human needs met in the face of conflict that requires change. We use life values to represent our human needs, and then we use conventions and obligatory scenes to represent the changing life values. Conventions and obligatory scenes help us shift from abstract to concrete. Because storytelling really boils down to a lot of decision-making about delivering information. What information to deliver, when to deliver it, and how to deliver it. And writer's block is really just indecision. What I love about conventions and obligatory scenes is that they help me make specific decisions because they help give me a reason to choose one thing over something else. Let's look at an example, a story through the eyes of a party planner. Here's the premise. You've been given the task to plan a surprise party for a friend. Make that a surprising yet inevitable party for a friend. But before you can begin, you have to ask yourself two questions. Who is the friend and what is the occasion? In other words, you have to ask what is the genre? Genre is just shorthand for the kind of experience that you want to create. And this really matters because a book launch party for Anne is a very different experience than a birthday party for my six-year-old daughter, Rosemary. For one thing, Anne won't appreciate the frozen impersonator that I hired, and let's just say I'll be baking two very different kinds of brownies. Choosing the experience you want to create means deciding what human needs you are going to be addressing. And then what life values are you going to use in order to represent that human need? How will you satisfy the need? through a prescriptive tale or through a cautionary tale? Do you want the story to end positively or negatively? All of this is included in the kind of experience you want to create. 
Once you know what that experience is, all that's left is to create it. And this is where conventions and obligatory scenes come in. Just like every party needs three things, one, guests, two, a venue or atmosphere, and three, fun activities, so it's not just a bunch of people standing around staring at one another, a story also must have these three things. One, characters, two, a setting, and three, a unique method of moving the story forward, so it's not just a bunch of people standing around staring at one another. These three things are part of your conventions. And depending on the kind of specific experience you want to create, the genre, this will dictate what these three elements are. In our Anne versus Rosemary party example, these mean very different guests, a very different venue and atmosphere, and very different activities. But we can't stop there. Everything we've said so far is just a setup. It's not a story. To create a story, we don't just let those conventions stay put. We have to throw some balls of chaos in the mix and make them move around and shift. We need some events. We need some revelations. And we need some decisions. Let's think about Anne's book launch party. Maybe an estranged friend shows up. Or maybe a film producer shows up and commissions her to write a screenplay version of her book. Or maybe a snowstorm knocks out the power. Or maybe an estranged friend who is now a movie producer shows up, asks Anne to write a screenplay. Anne's not interested, but then a snowstorm knocks out the power. Okay, now we've got a story. Let's think about Rosemary's birthday party. Maybe the frozen impersonator is an estranged friend. And maybe someone gets knocked out while breaking open the Olaf pinata. And maybe a snowstorm makes the lights go out. Or maybe, while the lights go out, someone knocks out the frozen impersonator. Dun, dun, dun. All of this, you can see now, is actually setting up a story. Or maybe I helped plan both parties, but accidentally mixed up the brownies. However this works out, having these events, decisions, and revelations are really what's making the story move and change. It's what's making the story meaningful. However the story plays out, the obligatory scenes are the key events, revelations, and decisions that move the story forward by changing the life values set up by the conventions. Okay, that's it for now. I hope this brief overview has helped you see conventions and obligatory scenes in a new way and understand that they are not a list to be checked off like items merely to be included. Rather, conventions and obligatory scenes are entwined with the spine of the story. Together, they generate a cause and effect of setups and payoffs that build the pattern of change. And that change is what's meaningful to your reader, from hook to build to surprising yet inevitable payoff. You can find the list of conventions and obligatory scenes for each content genre in the show notes of the first two seasons of The Roundtable, as well as from the Secrets of the Genre blog. This is a series by Rochelle Ramirez on the Fundamental Friday Post on thestorygrid.com. I encourage you to take your understanding of conventions and obligatory scenes even deeper for your chosen genre by looking at the three pillars, the list, the story theory, and your masterwork. Also, keep an eye out for the story grid beat, conventions and obligatory scenes, the must-haves to meet audience expectations, written by myself and Leslie Watts, coming out in 2020. That's it for this week. Join us next time for our season six teaser coming on December 11th. And then the following week, our first full-size episode on It's a Wonderful Life coming on December 18th. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>